right, have a seat. I invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy. Preaching through Paul's letter to the to Timothy, who's in Ephesus, just to give you some background, because you weren't here last week. Timothy, uh, Paul obviously wrote 1 Timothy. Then he wrote 2 Timothy. And in between 1 and 2 Timothy, we believe Titus and Philemon were written. He was in prison when he wrote 1 Timothy. He's in more of a dungeon as he writes 2 Timothy. And it's probably not long before Paul's going to be put to death. And so Paul is like a father writing back to a man who he considered his spiritual son. And you can identify with that if you're a parent of a child. If you have spent the first 16, 17, 18 years of that child's life, raising them up to know truth and to know just practical things like it's not a good idea to play in the road or um, don't touch a stove when it's hot. We, we learn those things pretty quickly, and parents are pretty good about we're, we're trying to protect the life and the body and the health of our children. But how would you feel if they go off to college and everything they hear from professors or friends in college undermines what you've taught them. You taught them don't play in the road, and somebody comes along and says, you know, actually, it's fun to play in the road. The reason your parents didn't want you to play in the road is they didn't want you to have any fun. Getting hit by a car is a real gas. <laughs> well, that's crazy, and yet that's what happens sometimes, even in our culture. But it was certainly happening in the time that Paul writes this letter. Back to Ephesus, a church that he loves dearly. In fact, we see in Acts chapter 20, this will be on the screen, Acts chapter 20, verses 29 and 30. Paul, in his farewell address to Ephesus, says, I know that after my departure, savage wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves, men will arise, speaking perverse things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul knew even before he left Ephesus that this day may come and probably will come, and it now has come. So he writes 2 Timothy, we're in chapter 2, verse 14 through 19 today. From a dungeon, Paul writes, Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God not to wrangle about words which is useless and leads to the ruin of the hearers. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. But avoid worldly and empty chatter, for it will lead to further ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Humanius and Philetus, men who have gone astray from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already taken place, and they upset the faith of some. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands, having this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and everyone who names the name of the Lord is to abstain from wickedness. So the first thing that Paul says to Timothy is a reminder. Paul says, Timothy, remind them of these things. Well, what things are you talking about? The things he's just written about. And it, it, it really boils down to the gospel message. In fact, what he's just written is, he 
if you've confessed me before men, I'll confess you before the Father. Specifically, he writes, if you deny me, I'll deny you before the Father. Timothy had a good news message. He had the message that Jesus Christ had come to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, paid the penalty for our sin. All who come to him can be saved, have a relationship, eternity with God in heaven. So Paul reminds Timothy to remind them. And who's he talking about? He's talking about the church. Remind the leaders of the church. Remind the church itself of these things that we've just talked about. And it's an imperative. This is a command. It's at least 25 times in 2 Timothy, which is a fairly short book, 25 occasions that Paul commands Timothy, gives him an imperative to do this. Now, why did they need to be reminded? Well, why do I need to be reminded of stuff? It's because I've forgotten. Why have I forgotten? Well, in their case, it was because other people had their ear. And we're telling them things that weren't what Paul had taught. It wasn't what Timothy is now teaching from Paul. And so Paul brings them back to the foundation, and that's where we're going to end today. And that is the foundation of truth. Remind them of these things and solemnly charge them in the presence of God. That sounds serious. The word solemnly charged is one word that means to attest or protest earnestly. It's an imperative participle. And to strengthen what Paul's saying to Timothy is in the presence of God. So you as God's representative are reminding them, and you are now solemnly charging them with something. We're going to get to that something here in just a minute. But this is serious. When Timothy reads these words, he had to take them with the weight, the depth that Paul intended for these to be taken. And here's the first thing he says to him. Remind them not to wrangle about words, which is useless. Literally, to war over minutia, to war over words. To quarrel, to be... To create dispute over words. And this is what happens when we replace the Word of God with the wisdom of the world. And that's what's happened. There's these religious systems that were developing in Ephesus. And it was contrary to the Word of God. And they were getting in disputes and arguments over it. And we come back to the Word of God. That's where we stand. That's the foundation. And anything else is not worth arguing. We defend the Word of God. Don't find yourself spending inordinate amounts of time arguing with people over silly stuff. As a preacher, I have people come up to me occasionally, and, and they want to get to, like, minutia stuff. And I think, you know what? If you'll, just, if you'll just do what's clear in Scripture, I think you're going to be okay. had a guy walk up to me one time in Quitman, Mississippi. This is where Gary used to be. He came up and he said, Robert, do you like math? Like, I don't know where this is going. You like math? I said, I don't think I do. He said, I like math. He takes out a piece of paper and he draws a line on it. Or actually, he drew a line this way. He said, before I came to Christ, I was a minus. Now that I've come to Christ, I'm a plus. See that? Yeah, that blessed me right there. I don't know about you. I'm glad you shared that with me. And I didn't have an argument with Thomas over that. There were other conversations I had with him that were fine. But it's amazing what people want to argue over, little little things that are unimportant. And so Paul's reminding Timothy, don't get into those disputes. Don't wrangle over words because it leads to ruin. 
fact, I love the Greek word here. I'm going to teach you a couple of Greek words today. This is the Greek word. I'm going to Anglicize it, but it's the word catastrophe. That's what Paul's saying. A catastrophe develops when you're wrangling over this. Instead of studying the Word of God, and he's going to talk to Timothy in a minute about being diligent to show yourself approved. Instead of studying the Word of God, you're arguing over stuff that has no depth, has no meaning. It's worthless. I wonder if people have visited our church sometimes and think, you know, all they do is argue over stuff. Let's stand on the word of truth and not argue about stuff the world's about. Catastrophe. When preachers and teachers abandon Scripture as the primary source of instruction, they end up damaging people and creating division. And that's what Paul is writing from a dungeon in Rome back to Timothy in Ephesus to say, stop this. Teach them. Remind them of what they've been taught so they don't do this. And here's the danger. Christians today are less familiar with Scripture than ever before. I think Scripture is more at our fingertips than it's ever been. You've you've probably got a Bible app on your phone or your iPad. You can listen to preachers constantly on the radio. You can watch preachers constantly on television. Here's the danger. Some of them aren't telling you the truth. And if you don't know the truth, human wisdom sounds real good. Until they say something, you're like, wait a minute, that doesn't square with Scripture. And then you're stuck with, which, which am I going to believe? Am I going to believe this new thing? Maybe that's, you know, everything that's new may not be good. It's not necessarily new and improved. But Paul says, this useless speculation, wrangling over words, is a catastrophe. It leads to ruin. And here's the problem. People fight over all things if there's not a common source of authority. If your source of authority is not the Word of God, I shared this a couple of weeks ago, a conversation I had with a man. He asked me his, my opinion on something. I was trying to avoid him getting into it, but he asked my opinion. I said, well, I don't think it's biblical. He said, well, I know it's not biblical, but it's practical. Once you get to the point where practical is more important than biblical, you've kind of lost your bearings. So we base our, our beliefs upon the Word of God and make the world fit this. So a reminder. Then he gets personal with Timothy. And he says, be diligent to present yourself approved to God. Anybody do Awanas at your church? This is the Awanas verse. I like this. What what does Awana stand for? This is audience participation time. Some of you are going, I don't know. I've been in Awanas all, all, all this time. What does it stand for back there? Approved workmen are not ashamed. Is that read? Way to go. <laughs> Approved workmen are not ashamed. That's right. That's That comes from this verse, and that's why Awanas is so good. If you've ever had the opportunity to, to volunteer in Awanas, sometimes they just need you to sit in a chair and listen to kids quote Scripture. And it's amazing how much Scripture children can learn. It'll blow you away. So that's what Paul is Paul's teaching him about Awanas. Be diligent, Timothy, to present yourself approved to God. Be diligent. Make effort. Be earnest. It means zealous persistence. In fact, really the most effective way to refute the argument of the enemies is to live a godly life. Be diligent in it, Timothy. Present yourself approved to God. Approved literally means you've been tested like metal or coin. You've been stamped sterling. 
God has seen your effort, and he said, that's approved. And it really comes down to who, who, whose approval am I seeking? If I'm seeking the approval of men, then I'm going to do things to make men and women happy. If I'm seeking the approval of God, there's sometimes these folks won't be happy. So, Timothy, be diligent. He's already talked about the diligence of the farmer in the previous passage we looked at last week. That's what he's talking about. Work, Timothy, to be approved so that ultimately you won't be ashamed. The ones who have the most reason to be ashamed are the ones who do things unashamedly. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, live your life in such a way, study the word in such a way, be diligent that you would never be ashamed. Would you be willing to stand beside your work? If your boss gives you a job to do and then inspection time comes, you know, somebody said you don't get what you expect, you get what you inspect. When inspection time comes, would you be willing to stand beside it and say, yeah, I claim that? If not, you have a reason to be ashamed. Paul's saying to Timothy, you're going to need to stand beside your work, and God's going to test it and stamp approved on it if you've been diligent. You ever bought a dress shirt and you looked in the pocket and it says inspected by inspector number eight? I don't know who inspector number eight is, but somewhere in a factory somewhere, number eight looked at that shirt and said, this is the way that shirt's supposed to look. I'm putting my little tag in there. Now, I don't know if it ever comes back, you know, if you ever return a shirt and they're going, all right, where's number eight? You're on probation. Can't do any more shirts this week. Got to go back to remedial school here to learn how to inspect the shirt. That's what Paul's saying to Timothy, not that he was number eight, but Paul's saying to Timothy, be diligent, and that's hard work at times. Be diligent to show yourself approved. And here's what he's to be diligent about. Here's how to show you're approved. Accurately handle the word of truth. Accurately handle. It means to cut straight. In fact, we get our word orthodontist and orthodoxy from this Greek word. To cut straight. It, was, it would be used of a farmer plowing a straight row. It would be used of a stonemason accurately cutting a stone for the building. Accurately handling, cutting it straight. How do you do that? Well, you got to study it. You apply it personally. And you teach it correctly. And that's not just a word for preachers in the room. That's a word for anybody who claims the name of Christ. As you study the Word of God, live it. Study it. Make it personal. And teach it correctly. The Word of Truth. And I'm back to holding my Bible up. This is the Word of Truth. I went to Russia a few years ago. In fact, a lot of years ago. I was in the Ukraine, part of the former Soviet Union. And one of the things that concerned me is we had the freedom now to preach the gospel. Nobody was coming to me and saying, you can't share that anymore. But while I was sharing the truth of the gospel, there were other cults over there sharing their stuff. And I thought, you know, I'll probably never see these people again, and, and we're not going to communicate probably once I got back to the States. So I want to leave you with this thought, and this is what I shared with them. If somebody comes to you and says something that doesn't sound like it squares with Scripture, Know the Word of God. And if what they say doesn't square with Scripture, don't believe it. I said, even if it's me that says it. If it doesn't square with Scripture, don't buy it. 
That's what Paul's saying to Timothy. Handle the Word of God faithfully and accurately. And I just want to commend the preachers that are represented by churches. All of you attend church somewhere, hopefully, other than the chapel during the summer. You're welcome to come here, but what do you do in the fall and the spring? And and as I thought about that, what, what is it about being a preacher that's hard, especially studying the Word of God? Three thoughts. It's labor-intensive to try to understand what God's Word says and then present it faithfully and accurately and clearly. If you go to a church where your preacher just gets up and kind of say, I didn't really have time to study this week, so I'm going to wing it, it becomes real obvious if you're in one of those kind of churches where they wing it every Sunday because they're going to talk about the same thing. There's a few pet topics I'm not encouraging you to leave your church, but if you're not in a church that preaches the truth, find one that does. Because it takes work. And sometimes it's invisible. Sometimes you don't see the result of your teaching. Sometimes it's years later that somebody may come back and say, you know, you shared a sermon on so-and-so. Do you remember that? And you're thinking, no, I don't. But it impacted lives. Why? Because it's God's Word, not your Word. And God's Word is living and active. Mine's my word dies. If it's not of God, you're not going to need to remember it. But if it's God's word, it's living and active. So if there's any preachers in our midst, let's be faithful to that. And for those who aren't preachers, if you've got preachers that are faithful to that, thank them for that. Because it's hard work. And sometimes it's invisible. And sometimes it would help for your pastor to hear you say what you shared last week. Not just, hey, great message. You really gave it to them. Or, or I wish my husband had been here to hear that. But at times just say, tell them why it meant something to you. Because it's encouraging. And then the other reason, third thought I had was, we're handling controversial stuff. God's Word's controversial. It divides. And we live in a generation where to take a stand on the Word of God will offend in fact, maybe a lot of folks. And yet Paul put it this way in 2 Corinthians 2, 15 to 17. For we are fragrance of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, an aroma from death to death. To the other, an aroma from life to life. And who is adequate for these things? For we are not like many peddling the word of God, but from sincerity as from God, we speak in Christ in the sight of God. That's how important the message is. And it's hard work, but it's a sacred trust. So approved, those are things that are approved by God. Let's look at what is unapproved. And Paul gets real specific in Timothy. He did it in 1 Timothy. He does it again in 2 Timothy. There's, there's a clear implication that some workmen are approved. There's some who are unapproved. There's some who don't need to be ashamed. There's some who should be ashamed. So Paul says, avoid worldly, empty chatter, literally to keep away from. In fact, one definition is to be a bystander. It kind of reminded me of you've come upon a wreck. You don't know how close you're supposed to get. Paul says if it's worldly and empty chatter, don't get close. Don't handle it. Don't dispute it. Don't get in an argument with those people. Stay away from it. Live the truth in front of them because it will lead to further ungodliness. And it's not just dangerous to believers or unbelievers. It's even dangerous to Timothy because this word is for Timothy. 
Timothy's not just reminding people of this. This is something Paul's trying to build into Timothy's life. Avoid worldly, empty chatter, fruitless discussion. The problem is the world we live in, people are kind of taking this worldview that as long as it's true to you, then it's true. I've even heard people say, well, you know, it may not be true to you, but it's true to me. Well, truth is truth. Alligators will bite your hand off. I don't know who told me this story, and if you're in here, I'm borrowing it. Somebody told me a story about a wife that took their children to Huntington Beach State Park, and the alligator was close by. She got pictures of all the kids near the alligator. And she got home and showed it to her husband, and her husband says, I can't believe you let our kids get that close to the alligators. And she said, well, it's at a state park. If it was dangerous, they wouldn't let those alligators out there. She believed with all her heart those were trained alligators, apparently, that had been detoothed. But when one of her kids goes missing, she's going to know the truth. Alligators will eat you. So just because you think something's true, if it's not true, you're going to get bit. And he said this ungodly talk spreads. Literally, it begins feeding on live flesh. It's, and he uses the term gangrene. It's like gangrene. The decay of tissue where blood supply is blocked by an injury or disease, and it spreads continually. It just continues to eat. And Paul saw that happening at the church in Ephesus. I'm sure it broke his heart that he couldn't be there to deal with it personally. So he turns it over to his beloved Christian son in the faith, Timothy. And says, Timothy, this is dangerous. The body could be eaten up if something's not done about the worldly empty chatter. If something's not done about the worldly wisdom that's being shared there in contrast to the word of God. And then he mentions names. Humanius. I'm going to call him Humaniac for the rest of the time, but Paul had already, in some people's mind, excommunicated this dude back in the first letter to Timothy. He certainly says, I've turned him over to Satan so that he'll stop blaspheming God. And his partner back then was Alexander. Don't know what happened to Alexander, but now he's got a new, a new partner. And whether he was still had free access to the church or not, I'm not sure. But he was still influencing people inside the church. And that's what Paul wrote back in Acts 20 when he said, I know the time's coming when even from within the church there's going to be dangerous heresies. People that will lead people astray because of what they're teaching. So Timothy, guard that. Be careful. They've gone astray from the truth. In fact, this is, for the Greek word, they've added something to make it negative. The word is target. But they added something to mean he's not hitting the target anymore. They've astray from the truth. The truth is the target. They want to claim they're aiming at that, but they're nowhere near it. And here's what they're teaching. One of the things they're teaching is the resurrection's already happening. And you're thinking, well, the resurrection of Jesus has happened. That's not what they're talking about. Part of the Gnostic heresy was the body's evil, and so why would we be resurrected from the dead? Because that's just evil. So they were claiming a spiritual resurrection's already taken place. And you see this in the letters of Paul in the New Testament. He's battling this in other areas. So some of what these guys are teaching is 
the resurrection's already taken place. And what, what upset people, and he writes about this to the Thessalonians, what happens if one of your loved ones dies? You're thinking, wait a minute, I th- thought the resurrection had already happened spiritually. They shouldn't be dying. What's happened to them? And Paul had to address that in Thessalonians to say they're not going to miss out on anything. The dead in Christ will rise first. We'll join them in the air to meet Jesus. But isn't that discouraging if, if somebody said, you know, Paul taught us that there's a resurrection coming. Paul's taught us we can look back to the cross, the death of Jesus, and the fact he rose from the dead, and we can say that's what's going to happen to me someday. I'm going to be risen to eternal life. This body may decay, but there's a resurrection coming and happening. And somebody comes in and says, oh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. That's discouraging. In fact, Paul, when he speaks in Athens, we won't turn there, but in Acts, the book of Acts, when he spoke in Athens, he talked about the resurrection. It said some people sneered at him. They couldn't receive it. They thought he was talking about stupid stuff. He didn't know what he was talking about, this resurrection. And yet Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 15, 16, and 17, look at this. For if the dead are not raised, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. So the people that want to claim there's no resurrection, you've got to understand something. Jesus did rise from the dead, and there will be a resurrection for me. And that's where our focus should be. In fact, you can look at 1 Corinthians 15 later today or this week. A lot of teaching about what he's disputing with the Ephesian church. And they've upset the faith of some. And last, the basis. This is where it comes back to. When everything seems to be shaking in the world, what is it that we can cling to that we know this isn't shaking? It's the last verse. Nevertheless, Paul said, okay, indeed, all that I've been teaching about, Timothy, come back to verse 19. Nevertheless, the firm foundation of God stands. That's worth an amen, at least in your heart, to say. The firm foundation of God is not shaking. The truth of God's word is not shaking. This Bible is not shaking. When the world seems to be going in a million different directions and everything's uncertain, there's certainty in the fact that the firm foundation of God stands. And I believe he's talking about the church because he talks about a seal that's been placed on it. And I believe that's what Jesus meant back in Matthew 16 when he says, Upon this faith, upon this confession, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And here's the two seals. Having this seal, literally a signet, a sign of authority. Back then, kings would dip their ring in wax and put it on the back of a letter to seal it, but also to say, I own this. You can trust the contents of this. But Paul's using that same analogy, that same thought, having this seal. First, the Lord knows who are his. And everyone who names the name of the Lord should abstain from wickedness. God's signet ring, God's sign, God's seal of ownership has two implications. First, he knows who are his. Jesus said in John 10, 14, I'm the good shepherd, and I know my own, and my own know me. So you can't go wrong staying on the truth of God's word, because as a child of God, you can take comfort in the fact I'm a child of God. Romans says his spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And then the second thing is, as a child of God, 
abstain from wickedness. John writes in 1 John chapter 3, verse 10, it's obvious who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not a child of God, nor one who does not love his brother. So if you're ever struggling over that, you come back to what we talked about a few weeks ago. You come back to not feelings, but facts. Have you placed your faith in Christ? Have you called him Lord? Have you done what Satan won't do? And that is acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, supreme in authority, the only one that can save us. God knows who are his. You don't have to worry about him losing you. And ultimately it is this. If you're a child of God, there's a family resemblance. It scares me a little bit that, especially when I was younger, that I looked a little bit like my parents. My mom, she's passed away now, so I can talk about this. You can't hear this. I, I walked in back during the days of Steve Urkel, you know, and Steve would always wear his pants real high, so I walked in one day when my kids were watching TV, and I just pulled my hands, pants up as high as I could get, and I said, who do I look like? I was hoping they were going to say, you look like Steve Urkel. Instead, they said, you look like grandmother. Oh, yeah, that's true. She wears those polyester pants and just pulls them up because they won't can't pull them up any higher. And the way I walk, I kind of throw my feet out when I walk. I'm not pigeon-toed. I'm the opposite of that. We're walking in the mall one day, and my daughter said, You walk like Granddaddy. I thought, well, you know, I guess I'm cursed with that, but I am his son. I am her son. So there's going to be a family resemblance there. Where it became real to me is when you go to the nursery and pick your son up in the nursery, and they say, We can tell he's your son. I'm thinking, okay, what did he do? Is this a good thing or a bad thing? But y'all, there'll be a family resemblance. So this firm foundation stands. The church stands. Jesus is building the church. And what's written over the church is God knows who are his. And those who are his abstain from wickedness. We're not like the world. We're different. And that will be a testimony folks, that the Bible that we say we believe really is true. Let's pray together. Bow your heads with me. Father, thank you that your word is truth. It's, it's reliable. It's the basis of our faith, and it does not shake. There's no shifting shadow with you. You're the same yesterday, today, and forever. And when the whole world moves around us, and what we thought we could cling to in the world is we can't cling to that anymore. It's not there. It's unreliable. We can come back to the Word of God and know that it's reliable. And so, God, in the generation we live in, may we be men and women who are diligent to show ourselves approved. We cut straight the word cutter. When the world sees a difference in us, it draws them to you. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand for closing prayer?